0: amen amen you can be seated good morning new city good morning good morning great to see all of you here today for those of you who are watching online grateful to to uh to have you with us as well my name is chris i'm one of the pastors here at new city and uh, again if you're visiting with us it's a joy to have you here and i hope this won't be your last time Before we jump into the message today, I wanted to highlight a need in our church uh, and a card that's in your seat back. So you can grab it, it's right in front of you. Um, It actually has a QR code. If you'd rather do this digitally, you can scan it and um, and go to the QR code and and it takes you to the website. But just wanted to highlight um, before we jump into the message that um, we we have a huge need, particularly here at South Park in our Next Gen space. So uh, in a great way, our our attendance for our kids has doubled since May. And so we have a lot more needs uh, in classrooms and spaces for volunteers. And I wanna start by thanking each of you who do faithfully serve in our Next Gen areas. Um, We're so grateful um, for your service and your sacrifice um, to influence the next generation of Christ followers. And I just wanna issue a challenge um, for those of you who might feel pulled on your hearts even in this moment. Um, to disciple and influence the next generation we could really use your help and the commitment that we're asking for is for six months so uh, from november to april um, typically we have our our highest attendance in the church and um, we've all already had um, some great growth here in the last few months as i mentioned with next gen but we're anticipating even more And so we need your help. So if you have the card, you can just take a look at it really quick. Again, it has a QR code that you can go on to if you wanna do this um, in a digital format. Uh, But on the back of the card, uh, just your name, your phone number, your email address. And if you'd be willing to serve, the commitment would be six months, um, twice a month. And of course, we're not gonna, you know, it's not a binding contract, Um, but that would be our ask. Um, Just so you know, it's not like a forever and ever amen. Um, but if you would just say, hey, during this you know, kind of uh, season coming up where there's gonna be more people um, coming onto our campus and engaging in the message of helping people find and follow Jesus, um, inviting your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, um, we need folks to serve in next-gen spaces to do that. And so if you would say, I'd be willing to do it um, twice a month from November until April. Um, again, I wanna encourage you to scan the card or just fill it out. And when you leave today, um, at the main doors, there's going to be a basket. You can't miss it. Yellow balloons, and you can just drop the card there um, in the basket. Or again, if you want to just scan it and do it online, you can do that as well. Um, I'm praying for uh, 30 new next gen volunteers for the next six months that would help us um, in our in our kids' spaces um, to, to disciple them and influence them. Um, for the sake of Christ. And so thank you for listening to that. Um, And if God's moving in your heart, if you've been talking about it or you've been wondering, if you're uh, new here and you've been wondering where you could plug in and serve, now you know. And uh, I'm just going to invite you to hold on to this, maybe put it in your Bible. And then when you leave today, you'll see the baskets uh, before you go. I'll try to remember um, to remind you before you go today. Uh, If you're able, would you stand and let's pray for our next gen. And I want to read the passage today to you as well. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. We're so grateful um, today for your grace. We're grateful for this space to gather freely to worship you. Um, You know, our culture, our country has a lot of challenges, um, but we stand here today grateful for the freedom to come and worship you and to gather in this way. And so we don't take it for granted and we're grateful Um, for so many people who have fought and who have served to give us this freedom to do that and ultimately for the freedom that you give to us to lift your name up, Jesus. And we pray today that you would be lifted up, Jesus, and that you would draw each of us, all people, to yourself. Help us to take the next step closer to you, Jesus. And we pray for our next generation. We pray for our kids and our students. We're so excited that you're bringing so many kids and students to our church And we recognize that our job as a church is to steward that gift. And the greatest gift that we could give to our collective future is the next generation of Christ followers. Um, Kids who find you and wanna passionately follow after you. And so help us as a church to be faithful to that. We, we remember the words of the psalmist uh, in Psalm 78 when he said, we will not forget to teach our children the glorious deeds of our Lord. So help us to do that. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, here's, here's our passage today, one of our passages. And I've entitled this the best lunch ever. So hopefully you won't get too hungry before uh, the sermon's over here. Uh, John chapter six, and we've got it up on the screens as well. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed up on a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Verse 5, Jesus soon, soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. What do you notice uh, in this lunch, in this passage, the best lunch ever in John chapter six? What sticks out to you? Well, a couple of things for me. Um, this is the only miracle of Jesus that appears in all four gospels. Did you know that? The feeding of the 5,000, which actually wasn't 5,000 total. It was 5,000 men, um, probably with their wives and their children. It was somewhere between 20 and 25,000 plus people, if you can imagine in this desolate place on the Eastern side of the Sea of Galilee near Tiberias. Um, Jesus asked uh, who, what we, should, what we should do here and how we're gonna feed all these people. Who's the first person he asked? Do you remember? Philip. And why did he ask Philip? Well, he asked Philip because Philip was near his hometown. Philip was, uh, uh, was from a little place near Tiberias. And so he turns to the guy who's closest to home and says, well, this is your hometown. Where should we go to feed all these people? And Philip says, we could work for months and we'd never be able to feed this huge crowd. And then who comes to Jesus with this young boy and his lunch? Andrew, Andrew's only mentioned a few times in the New Testament, Peter's brother. Um, He's always mentioned in the context of the big three, Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. Peter and Andrew were brothers. Andrew interestingly finds Jesus first and then goes and finds his brother, Peter. And then he doesn't get a word in the rest of the New Testament. <laughs> once, once Peter comes to Jesus, that's it. Game, set, match. In fact, James and John are known as the sons of thunder because when they walk through a Samaritan town, do you remember this story? They say, um, they're kind of shunned and they're not uh, treated hospitably. And James and John say, "Uh, Jesus, do you want us to call down lightning from heaven? And Jesus is like, no, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, The point is uh, James and John and Peter oftentimes uh, spoke before they thought. They were gregarious, outgoing, outspoken people. And, and God used that personality and temperament and transformed their hearts to be three pillars of the New Testament church. But there's a fourth person that was always a part of that, a quiet person named Andrew. How many of you are, you don't need to raise your hand because quiet people don't want to raise their hands. But how many of you would say, I'm, I'm more of a quiet person? If if I'm in a room, I just sort of would like to stand on the wall and and have maybe one conversation with a trusted friend. I don't, you know, I don't walk in and I'm not loud, right? Andrew was our quiet friend, but Andrew, God bless him, was a noticer. And um, oh, this gets me. And and even though uh, Peter and James and John, the other disciples are looking around and going, you know, we don't have enough food. We're never gonna, we need to send these people away. You know, uh, we, we, we could work for months and never feed this group of people. Andrew, God bless him, sees this young boy and the boy's lunchable, basically. A lunchbox that he brought with him. And Andrew notices that. And he, just like he brought Peter to Jesus, he brings his young friend to Jesus. And he says, you know, there's a boy here with five loaves and two fish. He brought his lunch. Um, And only John's gospel, remember, this is the only miracle recorded in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only in John's gospel do we get this great little detail. If you look at verse eight, uh, John says, uh, or Andrew says five, what what kind of bread was it? John's the only one that mentions what kind of bread it was. It was barley. You say, Chris, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, barley bread was a poor man's bread. Uh, barley was a, 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 a grain of the impoverished. And so what do we know about this crowd, this group of people that's been following Jesus around all the way over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? Um, they were a poor group of people. And this young boy has a lunch, but even in the bread that he offers, it's a poor man's bread and we get this uh, uh, amazing nugget. And then uh, Andrew says in verse nine, but, 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 but what is this, you know, w- w- uh, with all these people to feed? You know, what, what in other words, he's saying, what, what good could, could five barley loaves and two fish do to feed all of these people? Which, you know, when we think about generosity and giving, um, I think it's really easy in this world to be overwhelmed. I don't know about you, with all the needs around us, right? And you could be tempted to think, just like Andrew, um, you know, what good is it? What, what good is my meager offering, my five barley loaves and two fish, with, with all the needs of, of the world? And, and, and the deal is, guys, and the reason why I started with this passage is. Did, did Jesus did Jesus need the five loaves and two fish to do the miracle? No. It was never about the five loaves and the two fish. It was always about the heart. It was always about a heart that noticed, a heart that was willing to give out of poverty and, and what they had and, and and being able to trust God, even with the little that you had to do what only God, could do that's what it was always about the, the deal is this guys and you go wait a second is this a is this a sermon on money um yes it is but 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 more than that right it's a, it's a it's a sermon about your your heart because here's the deal guys okay God doesn't need your money God doesn't need your money the Bible tells us that God owns cattle on a thousand hills he doesn't need your money but here watch this but God wants your heart and God knows that the chief rival in our culture and always has been uh, back in the time of the judges it was a golden calf but but now it might be a 401k it God knows that the chief rival to our affection our faith our trust in him is money and here's the deal guys and and here like Listen, and if, if if you're here and you're visiting and or if you're watching online, and you go, Oh man, all churches do is talk about money. well, well let me just say. We teach about money and generosity one time a year, and you picked you pick the right Sunday, right? Okay, okay. you hit the jack, back, jackpot here. And, and we do it in two weeks. And the reason why I do it in two weeks is because the, not at New City, but the average American uh, church attender attends twice a month, not here. We, we, we wouldn't do that, but, 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 the average, but the average church, right? And so my goal as your pastor is to teach, you hear it one time a year at least, that you hear a message about about giving, but here's the deal. The reason why so many of us think that all churches do is talk about money, and sometimes churches do, right? There's always gonna be that out there. But the reality is most churches don't talk about it all the time. We talk about it tw- two Sundays a year. The average person probably hears it once. I hope you guys will come back next week and hear, and hear the rest of it, right? But the, but the deal is that our culture thinks about money all the time. So, so whenever you hear it, it's like, well, that, that's all we ever talk about. No, that's all we ever think about. So if I say, you know, uh, everybody look for a, 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 a red Toyota today, just look around for red Toyotas and notice them, you'll start seeing red Toyotas everywhere. Well, they were always there, but you just started fixing your mind on them and our mind is fixated on money. And so whenever we hear about it, we just go, oh, that's, that's all anybody ever talks about. No, that's all we ever think about. And the reason why Jesus talked about money so many times is not because he wanted money, It was because he knew that it was the chief rival to people trusting in him and the same is true today. And here's the deal guys, if you don't get anything else out of this. If you never come back to New City again, if you never watch again, you go to another church, I hope this message will be a blessing to another church because this is a kingdom message, not a New City message. Generosity, biblical generosity and understanding of generosity breaks the back of idolatry. Living generously, not just with our money, with our leadership, our time, our our social capital, our relationships, living generously in every way breaks the back of idolatry. If you've been coming to New City for some time, you know that we've been walking through the Old Testament book of Judges, right? And we're going to jump back into that week after next in part two and Judges is the story of the people of God coming to the edge of the promised land, right? Moses has led them to the edge. Joshua is taking them into the promised land. And now remember, they have to take what? Possession of the gift of God. And we've learned together that it's one thing for God to give us a gift. It's another thing for us to take possession of that gift and to hold it in our hearts. So God is inviting his people to come into this land of promise which is, right, it's, it's a physical manifestation, the promised land is, of all the many blessings and provision and uh, safety and sustaining love that God has for his people. And he wants them so badly to live freely in those blessings, okay? So God's inviting us and his people to take possession of those blessings, right? But here's what happens. And for those of you who've been journeying with us through the book of Judges, instead of the people uh, receiving that invitation from God to live in the, in the promised land and enjoy his safety and his sustaining love and blessings, they invite God, so God's inviting us, they invite God, God, you come join us in living among all of these idols, and we'll let you be a part of our portfolio of faith. And you can even have a big part of the portfolio. But we're still going to worship Baal and the Asherah Poles and all the other things because we want to test them out too and we want to hedge our bets. If you don't come through for us, God, we want to make sure that someone or something does. And how does that work out for the people of God so far on the, on the Ferris wheel? Not great, Right? Everybody's about to throw up now. We've been around so many times and the people of God are still going, no, instead of us receiving your invitation to come and live in your blessings and your sustaining power in the promises of God, God, we're inviting you to come live with us among our our pagan worshipers and our idols. And this is where Tim Keller says, this is far worse than atheism right uh, agnosticism ag- uh, atheism agnosticism i don't believe in the uh, um, that, that i can know god atheism there is no god and keller says anythingism is worse than that anythingism is i'll just worship anyone or anything that works for me so atheism i don't believe in god agnosticism i can't know god anythingism everything is god and keller says this is worse than that because at least over here, you're saying up front, I don't believe in God. So why in the world would I order my life around what he says for me? But anything is going, yeah, I do believe in God, but I'm going to invite him to live among all my other gods. And the chief of those for our culture, and it was in Jesus' time, and it was in the time of the judges, is God, or is money, is is this false sense of a a God who can provide all the things that the promised land was meant to be a manifestation of, and instead we trade that and we say, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take possession of it myself. God, you come and join me in my idol worship. See, here's the deal, if you're taking notes. The reality is God didn't want anything from the Israelites that he hadn't already provided, right? He wanted something for them, as his people, he wanted something for them, not from them. The, the, the Ten Commandments and all the things that, that, that God asked of his people were only put in place after he established a relationship with them. And they were put in place because God wanted so badly for them to experience the fullness of his promises and live freely in them. And the same is true for us. If you don't don't get anything else out of this message, okay, everybody come back to me. Don't think about lunch. Don't think about the Panthers. Don't think about anything else. Come right back to me, okay? Listen, God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. And God puts boundaries in place because he wants something for you. He wants you to experience the fullness of his presence and his promises and to live freely in them. Paul told us in the book of Galatians, it's for freedom that Christ set you free. So why would you go back to slavery and idolatry anymore? And yet we do. And so again, once a year we talk about this uh, idol of money, and we talk more specifically about what it means to live in a counter way to the story that our culture is telling us. Our culture is telling us a false story, a story that you can invite God, you can invite Jesus to live among all of your other gods and idols. But the biblical narrative tells us a different story. And when we come together on Sunday morning, part of what we're doing in worship is reminding ourselves together as God's people of our story the true story, the true reason that God came to us and called us to himself and the true story that he calls us to live into. So I just want to say this as your pastor up front when we, as we talk about money here. I know this is a sensitive topic. That's exactly what we, why we need to talk about it, right? Because if we don't talk about it in this setting, the, listen, the world would love to tell you about how to handle your money, There's all kinds of stories out these doors about what money is and all of them lead with you being in control and money being your God and your idol. In some form or fashion, that's where it gets to. So part of, again, what we do when we open the scriptures and we come and worship together is to remind ourselves of the true story. If you leave here today or next week, hope you'll come back next week. If you leave and you go, man, I just feel guilty. I just feel condemned. I just have so much shame for the way that i've handled my money so far in my life i just i just feel like i have to give let me just say if if any of those and other uh emotions that are that are are in that realm is what you're feeling that's not from god that that's not how god deals if you feel convicted if you feel inspired if you feel encouraged If you have a desire to want to lean more into God's story and walk more freely into His story, that's the work of the Spirit. Paul's going to talk about this in our passage. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. You go, that's interesting. He talks about the Macedonians, when they took the offering, they applauded. They could, can you imagine? They couldn't wait to give. They couldn't wait to participate and to, to give generously. That's what God's after. Not giving out of compulsion or, or shame or guilt. None of that is from the Lord. And ultimately that that binds us. God wants you to live freely with your money. And that's what I want to talk about the next two weeks. So I teach every single year, uh, for some of you, this is my fourth year, fifth year um, here. So teaching, I teach five Ps of generosity five Ps of generosity every year, okay? And you go, yes, but I would love to give a pop quiz for how many of you know the five. That's, th- this is why I repeat them every single year. And I didn't come up with them. They're straight from the scriptures from Second Corinthians eight and nine. And you might think of a, I have five Ps. You might think of a sixth one. You might think of a different one. These are just five ways to remember the principles of God about generosity. And I teach them every year because I believe in repetition. And this is one of those topics and one of the, the, the deals where it is walking up a down escalator. If you don't remind yourself of the true story and what God says about generosity and giving and money, it, 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 you'll quickly forget and, and when we'll quickly get pulled out into the story that's being told outside of these walls. So every year we come back to these five principles of giving from Second Corinthians, eight and nine, as Paul teaches these. And today I want to cover the first two. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to open to Second Corinthians, um, chapters eight and nine. And the next two weeks, I wanna challenge you to read these two chapters and study them on your own. If you have other people around your your, uh, dinner table, uh, have a conversation. What are you reading? What are you learning? What are you hearing about what God says about generosity and the true story of generosity? While you're turning there, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, The context for this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Paul wrote four letters to the church at Corinth. We only have two captured in the scriptures here. So Paul's writing this letter, encouraging them about many different topics. And he gets to chapters eight and nine. He starts talking about giving and generosity. And he begins by talking about the church in Macedonia. And you'll remember during Paul's second and third missionary journeys, he goes to Macedonia over into the continent of Europe, the first time he's crossed over into Europe and the gospel has come there, into places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea Berea and, and, and then to Corinth. And he encourages the church at Corinth with the giving that's happened in those areas. And what's so cool, before we jump to the passage really quickly, I think it's cool is that, um, you know, the church starts obviously in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is a little bit reluctant and they struggle with how to, to go to the Gentiles. Paul, uh, or God raises up Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And then the church at Antioch, which was just north of Jerusalem, really becomes the major sending church. But the, the really cool thing is, as the, the gospel, you think about in concentric circles from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth in the first century was Rome. It gets all the way to Rome. It goes to the ends of the earth. And as those concentric circles get bigger and bigger and the gospel spreads and spreads, it's actually the next generation of churches, like Corinth, like Macedonia, that had come to faith a generation after the the, the first generation of believers in Jerusalem, that's now taking an offering to go back where? To Jerusalem. So the really cool thing here is to think about the harvest of the gospel, of helping people find and follow Jesus, to use our language around that. The harvest of that generated an offering that blessed the people that sent the first generation of Christians as they wrestled with, you know, how do we reach the Gentiles and how do we wrestle and understand Jewish customs in light of Christianity? And that was a difficult thing. Go read the book of Acts to see that. But as the church began to spread and more people beyond Judaism began to find Jesus and realize that it wasn't by the law that they were saved. It was only by grace through faith. And the church began to explode and grow. grow. It was actually the growth of the church, new people that came to Jesus that were now being generous with their money because they never really had been in that way and sending the money back to Jerusalem to bless the church, which is just so cool. And so I want to hit the first two principles today of these five Ps if you're taking notes. And the first one is that generosity, as we look at our passage, is prayerful. Okay, generosity is prayerful. You say, okay, where does that come from? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me read verses 1 through 5 to you. Now I want you to know. Again, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Okay, he says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So we just talked about where those are. They're being tested by many troubles, hmm. and they're very poor. But they also filled with abundant. Jo- they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed enrich generosity. Now, I'm just going to stop there for just a second. Because joy is different than happiness, right? Happiness is circumstantial uh, and, and usually is based on things outside of me. Joy is um, permanent and it comes from the inside. It comes from my heart, what God's doing in my heart. And I want you to pay attention here. It says uh, they're poor and they're, they're facing many troubles. So in other words, they're going through a lot of stuff. Maybe you're going through a lot of stuff. Um, and when we think about generosity and money, by the way, and we'll get to this in just a minute, we think if I'm going through a hard time or trouble or there's turbulence or there's um, whispers of a recession or there's all that stuff, that's not the time to think about money and be generous. Okay, and Paul says, um, they're going through a lot of trouble and they're very poor. And yet the the, the, the permanent... Um, condition of joy that comes from within their heart, not exterior, but from the inside, their joy in the Lord, has resulted in, I love this phrase, overflowed in generosity. So joy leads us to live generous lives. And then verse three, he says, for I can testify that they gave not only from what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will, not because the pastor said to not because of any other reason they did it because they wanted to and then look at this they begged can you imagine i'm begging to be a part of this offering please pass the plate i want i'm begging you to let me give they begged they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem to send an offering back to the church in Jerusalem and then look at verse 5 they even did more than we hoped How did they do that? Okay, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So if you're taking notes in your Bible or in your journal, put prayerful beside verse five. The only way they were able to give themselves out of their poverty, out of their troubles, even more than they could afford was because they gave themselves first to the Lord and other people. Now, the story, when you leave here, and even by the time you leave your seat and get to the parking lot, believe me, the enemy's going to start going, that's not true. You, you really can't trust God that way. Because everything in our culture, the story that the world is telling us, is that you've got to look out for you. You've got to put yourself first, then other people that you love, right? And then maybe, 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 maybe you know, spirituality or God or wherever that fits in. Verse five says, they gave themselves first to to who? To the Lord. Then they gave themselves second to other people. In other words, they weren't first. They weren't looking out for themselves first. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And the only way to give yourself to the Lord and other people first, with our hearts the way they are, they're so selfish that we're always thinking about ourselves. Even during this sermon, we thought about ourselves a hundred times, right? We, we, we're our favorite subject matter. We're, our name is our favorite word, All right? We think about ourselves. And the only way to not think about ourselves is to give ourselves in prayer to the Lord. And it's, it's when we align our hearts, because that's what prayer is. Remember our, our teaching this summer, prayer is a conversation between you and God where we align our hearts to the heart of God. And when we align our hearts to the heart of God, then we're able to give freely and generously and begin by doing that with other people. In this context, even another church, people that they would never meet in Jerusalem. And they were begging to be a part of that offering. I wanted to share real quickly, um, almost 13 years ago, um, we planted what is now our Matthews campus. And I'd served in another church, a great church here in Charlotte for 11 years and loved it. And then we felt led that we were meant to go and do this. And before that, um, we had been interviewing at a, a church in Chicago, and thought, you know, we're gonna just move from uh, one established church to another uh, established church and, and just kind of a, a parallel type thing. And God just began to move in our hearts on on that we were meant to stay in Charlotte and, and start something. And we wrestled with that for months. And then we finally, I feel like, you know, heard from the Lord and other people who were praying with us and agreed to do that. And as soon as we agreed in our hearts to do it and began to vocalize that, the bottom fell out at least it felt like that to us. At the time we had a four-year-old, a three-year-old and our 13-year-old who's sitting on the front row was eight months old. And Jim was a fifth grade teacher in CMS and had come home to look after them. And I basically quit my job to go start this new thing with nothing. And I remember um, after, you know, kind of the um, initial decision and all the prayer that went into that, um, just feeling so alone and, and, and feeling like, man, um, I've made a huge mistake. And, and the reason why I'm sharing this is because when we give ourselves first to the Lord, it's not just a one-time deal. We've got to continue every day in prayer to come back and align our hearts to the heart of God. Because that was real, and all of that happened in thinking about planting a church. But then the enemy began to sow all kinds of seeds of doubt in my heart and mind. And I began to to, to believe this story that you're you're a terrible husband. You're a terrible father to do this. How could you, you you know quit this great role that you had and 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 do this? and 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 literally we just we, we had nothing for a season. We had a friend that invited us, I think he just felt bad for us, uh, to go to Atlanta and sell tickets at a cheerleading competition. And we did it just to make some money. And we went down there and they um, divided us in different places. Jim was working in one place and I was in the, remember the old Georgia Dome? Uh, I was working at the ticket booth at the Georgia Dome, which was a little closet. It was February, it was freezing. And I was in there by myself selling cheerleading tickets. <laughs> and I, re- I remember having just a moment with God going, what, what, what have you done? And what have I done? I've completely missed you. And people would come to the counter and, does this include the uh, the tumbling? And I'm I'm like, I I don't know. You know, just uh, (laughs) I'm going through something here. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. And I just remember thinking, what have I done with my life? I'm sitting in the Georgia Dome at a ticket booth selling cheerleading tickets. And this is what it's come to. And in my reading that weekend, um, I came across a little phrase in a little devotional, um, and the two words were only God. And and I began to to just, I I highlight that and exclamation point, all stuff, God, you're going to have to come through in ways that only you can. And here's what was happening, guys, for me, right? I don't know about you, but for me, I was being stripped away of so much And I had gotten so comfortable and so secure and safe. And then all of that in a moment was gone. And and I had to really come back to, do I really trust God? Have I I really put him first? And the truth is, if I'm honest with you, I was inviting God to be a part of my story. And I'll do all these things. And God, you come along. It'll be fun. Come along with me, God, instead of me saying yes to God's story which is always, always coming to a place where my hands are pried open. And I'm saying, God, if you don't come through, I'm through. If you don't come through, we're through. And that gets me to to praying only God type prayers. The, The one word prayer that God loves to hear most, you guys remember? Help. Help me God, I'm in the middle of the Georgia Dome selling cheerleading tickets. Surely this can't be your will for my life, right? Help me God help me. And he did. It wasn't always easy. I'll share more of that story as we, as we journey together. But God came through. Only God moment after only God moment. It wasn't always in the way that we prayed it. It wasn't always in the time that we had, had hoped it would happen. But God brought his promises to pass. The second P is prioritized. I'm out of time. i got to go quicker. Okay, it's prayerful. you got to give yourself first to the Lord and other people. Secondly, it's got to be a priority. Look at verses 6 and 7 here in 2 Corinthians 8. So we've urged Titus. Titus was um, one of Paul's um, guys that would go around with him. He was someone that was being mentored and discipled by Paul. He would later later pass the church uh, on the island of Crete. Uh, He said, you know, we're gonna send uh, Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place. He was the first one to tell you about this. And he's gonna return to you to encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Then verse seven, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love for us, Paul says, "I, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. In other words, Paul says, giving is a part of discipleship. And in the ways that you're excelling in your knowledge and in your enthusiasm and your passion and your love and your encouragement, I want you to also see your giving as a part of your discipleship journey. And and in context here, uh, the church at Corinth had agreed to start the gift, like we're going to give. And then it kind of waned away. And Paul was saying, I want you to go back to you. You said you were going to do it. Now I want you to finish it. For those of you who are runners, there's a lot of encouragement and excitement at the beginning of the race. This is so fun. There's music, everybody's smiling and taking selfies. And at the end, you know, you're you're raising your arms, I finished in the middle, it's tough. Nobody's taking pictures. You're wondering like, should I turn around? Should I just stop? And the same is true with generosity, right? Paul says, you made a commitment, you started, but I want to encourage you in the middle of the race to keep going and make it a priority. I want to be sure to teach this and I'll come back to it next week. I wonder where you learned about money first as a, as a kid. And think about that. Where did you learn about money? Did you learn from money by watching your mom and dad? Did you learn another family member? Did you learn just somebody in culture, or a teacher or a coach, or maybe at church you learned about money? Where did you first learn about money? most of us most people learn about money this way and ordering their money this way that they need to take care of their bills right you spend you get a chunk of money you, you spend it you, you you pay for your bills you, you make your car payment your house payment all the things pay for your apartment take care of all the things that you need and then we learn this right most of us do uh the the next kind of level of maturity and and, and with handling your money is you should save Right? You should save some money for a rainy day. So we, we, we begin to save money. Maybe our employer has a, sa- a savings plan and we invest in that and we do that. And then uh, maybe you give. Whatever's left over, uh, things that prick your heart or somebody that comes in your life, you, you just, you, you kind of reach in and whatever's left, you, you know, I, I do want to give. I want to I try to be generous. But that always, listen, it always puts us chasing generosity, and, and, and here's the thing that I've learned, we've learned it together personally, is that there are always things that will fit very neatly in the spend and save category, right? And, and I'm, I, know I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna step on some toes here, okay? And part of the role of preaching in God's word is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted, okay? So, so with, for Christians, oftentimes, we know that spending, right? When well, we can go ahead and put all three of them up there, we know that spending we, can get us in trouble. We know it, we can out, you overspend, we can get into debt. We, we know that spending can be a problem culturally. It's, it's a problem for our country. We know those things. And so we go, we, we know we gotta rein in our spending. But here, here's where in a sneaky way, our, our idolatry and fighting our security and you know, all the things in our money can get us. Oftentimes with Christians, it's in saving. And you go, wait a second, are you, are you saying that saving is bad? Absolutely not. You should save, you should get a financial planner, you should do all the things, right? You should save for a rainy day, not for Armageddon. Some, some of you are saving for the end of the world. You're saving for Armageddon. And, and, and it's a very virtuous way um, to worship your money. I'm just saving. Uh, what are you saving for? Well, I'm saving for anything that could happen that could threaten my security. Well, listen, guys, you're not going to outsave the end of the world. You're not going to outsave Armageddon, I hate to tell you, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have in your 401k or your bank account, um, you're, you're not going to be able to outsave trouble and difficulty if it comes at that scale. Please don't misunderstand me. We should save, we, we, we should plan and prepare, absolutely. But for some of us, the conviction and what we need to hear today is that we know we shouldn't spend, we know that's not a good thing, but we've put all of it into saving and we, and we just begin to just amass and amass and amass and amass. And I don't know any of your financial situations, but I would just say sitting with people, this can become a sneaky little one in the middle that feels a lot more virtuous than spending, but we end up, uh, you know, there's a story in the scriptures about, I fill up my barn, so what do I do? Start giving away my grain? No way, man, tear them down and build bigger barns so I can fill up even more grain, so I can prepare for anything, so I'm untouchable. There's nothing that could happen that could touch me. So I'm not sitting in a ticket booth at the Georgia Dome selling tickets to cheerleading competition. I don't ever wanna do that, right? And so I just wanna save and save and save to make sure I never get in that tight spot and it it becomes an idol for us. And I just wanna offer for you to maybe think about it a different way where maybe God calls us to start first with our giving. And then we should save appropriately. Absolutely we should. And we should prepare and we should plan. I know we have so many financial planners in the room right now that are looking at me, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't do financial planning. You should, we do. But it can become something that that is overdone. And then comes our spending. And you go, man, that's crazy, Chris. For some of you, right, you go, I can't can't just flip the switch and invert all these and go from spending, saving, giving to giving, saving, spending. But maybe you could turn the dial. Maybe part of this teaching is I'm going to start turning the dial towards this. Where my giving is the first thing that goes out. And I've, I've told you guys in humility, and this, I'll share more of our journey next week, it wasn't always this way. The first thing that goes out of our bank account every month, in fact, it goes on the last day of the previous month, is our giving. And the reason why we did that is because we struggled for so long to chase this. And then finally, we inverted it and we start with our giving. And then we save. We, we absolutely do save. And then we spend. And I know, again, for some of you, it's like, I can't just flip the switch and walk out and do that. We'll turn the dial. Start moving more to this. Listen, if it's always spend, save, give, you'll always be chasing your giving. You'll always be chasing it. There always, there's always things to spend on, right? And, right, as I just mentioned, you can always justify saving more. And here's the big giving myth, okay? And I'll finish right here. Here's the big giving myth. The big, have you heard this? The big giving myth is this. When I earn more, I'll, uh, you've, heard, you've heard that? You ever thought that? When I earn more, I'll give more. When I can get more coming in, then I'll just, I'll spend, I'll save, and then I'll have more left over to give. But guess what? When it filters through the, the, the spend and the save, You don't have the money to give. And the truth is this, the the data tells us that people that that make less than $75,000 a year give more percentage-wise than people who make more than $75,000 a year. Whoops. So in other words, people that make less than $75,000 percentage-wise give more percentage than people who make more. Because the more money that comes in, every time you get a raise and whatever, if it's spend, save, give, you'll always find things to spend and save. And so somehow as we start with John 6 and we think about the the little boy with five loaves and two fish, and we think about the Macedonians having all kinds of trouble and poverty, it wasn't about the money. It was about their heart and their posture before God. And the reason why is this, look at this final passage, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we'll pick up here next week. Paul says, you, you know that the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he, he was, though he was rich, for your sake he became what? Poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now is this a, a passage about money, overtly? no. It's about salvation, it's about grace. For God so loved the world that he gave. He left heaven and came to earth. He left riches and came to poverty so that he could give you riches and grace. And in this way, for Christians, for those of you who are Christ followers in here, our orientation to money and leadership and any, anything kind of influence that God has given to us, whether it's, whether it's financial or whether it's relational, whatever it might be, our orientation to how to live generously is the gospel. That Jesus came and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That he left riches to become poor so that we could become rich. He was thinking about his father's will and he was thinking about others. And God calls us to freely do the same. Today you're gonna get an an email. And the email is from New City and it's got an impact report attached. And I just wanted to mention this really quickly because it's really a a report of, of stories. It's full of stories and data points of of how God has used your generosity in in our church to help people find and follow Jesus, um, to help more and more people understand God's grace and the gospel that you you just heard together. And I just wanna encourage you, it should come through about lunchtime, to open it up and to read through it. It's gonna be mailed to you as well, so you'll have a hard copy of it. And I just want you, as you're reading it, to think about what we've heard today and think about the difference that your giving, your generosity is making in the life of this church and so many people who need to be here to hear the message of the gospel, to hear the true story of God. And I I wanna leave you with with this. Uh, One of the things that you're going to to see in there um, is the story of, of how God has blessed our church in the last year through your generosity. And I'm so uh, proud of you. And I wanna say thank you for giving generously and living out these principles. So many of you are, and I wanna challenge those of you uh, to take a step in your giving who are not giving. And then listen, okay, here's the deal. It doesn't have to be in a new city. I would love for it to be it. I'll talk more about that next week of all the ways that God uses your giving to bring about his gospel to other people. But if you say, hey, I wanna give to this church, if you're watching online and you wanna bless your church with your giving, do it. I just wanna encourage you to take a step in your giving. And one of the cool things that God has done here specifically, even coming out of COVID the last two years, is we've been able with your giving um, to pay off all of our debt. So we had $2.5 million of debt as of two years ago. And as of right now, we've got all the the money you know, to, to, to pay it off. And we've done that through your generosity. Thank you, guys. And I'm, I'm telling you that um, because every dollar that was being spent on mortgage is gonna be spent on ministry. And, and that's a wonderful thing. So I wanna, in, I wanna encourage you, just as Paul does, I wanna encourage you in your giving uh, to continue um, to, to see people find and follow Jesus. Who, who could have a better mission than that? Uh, to help people find and follow Jesus and to connect your generosity, whether it's through your finances, your leadership, your time, whatever it might be, to bring to bear for that, for that mission. Here's the bottom line again, and I'll repeat it again next week. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. God, want, God wants you to freely experience his life and his grace and to see your kingdom work to help other people do the same. Let's pray together. Jesus, we give you the glory and we give you the praise for your good work and your generosity to us. Thank you that you left the riches of heaven and made yourself nothing, made yourself poor so that we could be rich in grace. God, we thank you for the only God stories that have led us to this moment as a church. And we're trusting you for even more even more stories of your love and your grace of helping people find and and follow you, Jesus, because we know that as people find you and follow you, they'll find life. They'll find reason and purpose and meaning and our world is desperate for that. So I pray today, God, that you would help this truth to settle in our hearts and that you would bring, bring about your good purposes in and through our lives and in and through our church. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray this. Amen. you so much for being here today and if you're looking to get connected here further at new city we'd love to help you do that and the easiest way to do it today is to go to connection point which is straight out the main doors here in the courtyard and we have a team that would love to greet you and help you to find your place here we'd love for this to be your church home if you're visiting with us today i do promise we don't talk about giving and money every week Um, but it's an important thing for our church and so thank you for being here today and i want to encourage you to come back uh, next week if you would like prayer today there's a connect card in your seat backs uh, that has a section to fill out a prayer request and we'd love to be able to pray for you or you can go online and fill out the prayer card and we have a team that does that every week it'd be our joy to pray As some of us will be up front afterwards we'd love to meet you and, and pray for you and then if you'd like to take a step in your giving um, you can go online newcity.us give and this is the way we receive our offering our giving you're gonna get a little card today when you leave that just has the, the freely le- uh, series graphic on it and a place for you to go and make a tangible step towards your giving. I wanna encourage you and challenge you uh, to do that. Last thing, don't forget our, our next gen card. If you filled that out or if you need to before you leave, uh, again, we're looking for 30 new volunteers to help us the next six months as God brings more people um, to, uh, to this church. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a blessing as we go today? Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his peace and his mercy and his love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Loving your city.